In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. That is the longest, or at least one of the longest, passages for which we will stand. I think it's kind of awesome that as long a passage as that has in the, in the midst of it the shortest verse in the whole Bible. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. And if you want to look at that for yourself, I'll be pointing to some verses in here that you'll find that on page 1042 of your pew Bible. Jesus wept. When uh, Mrs. Kidd and I first started attending 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which was to prove to become our seminary church, the minister, James Montgomery Boyce, was beginning, he was almost halfway through a several-year journey through John's gospel in his preaching. And the Sunday we walked in there, we got to this verse, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. And he said, I, I can't do this justice, I can't do this verse justice unless I take four weeks to cover it. And so he did. One week of who Jesus is, one week of who God the Father is, one week of who we are, and one week of how Jesus loves us. And the interesting thing is, it's sort of a teacher's dynamic. You can take a big book and you can sum it up real fast, like Genesis, six words, glorious start, tragic fall, redemption begins. But, but you, take, you take a verse like this, Jesus wept, and it's what? It would take more words than there are to explain all that's going on here. To riff on what John says at the end of his own gospel, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But let me offer three simple sentences. Jesus wept means he's not a ghost. Two, Jesus wept means he embraces being misunderstood. He's okay with that. Third, Jesus wept means fixing lies on the far side of caring. First, Jesus wept. Jesus wept means he's not a ghost. He's not a machine. Jesus wept means Jesus had tear ducts. He had sweat glands. The Gospels tell us he gets hungry, he gets tired. When he talks about what goes into you, going out and going into the, I can't even say it right. When he talks about what goes into you, goes through you and comes out in the latrine, he knows whereof he speaks. His incarnation wasn't a drive-by. He didn't come to live among us just long enough to die so he could take you to heaven, though he will take you there. As the second Adam and the eschatological, the last man, the ascended God man, Jesus is already there, 
simultaneously holding a place for you there and working in and around you to bring a bit of there here. When you're knitting, you're bringing there here. When you're gardening, you're bringing there here. When you're reading to your kids or your grandchildren, you're bringing there here. When you're doing your homework, coaching, driving, practicing law or medicine or the piano or your part in the play, you are bringing there here. Jesus took on the stuff of who we are to glorify, to dignify, to magnify, even in the language of the Eastern church, to deify the stuff of our humanity. As they said in the ancient church, he became what we are so we can become what he is. There is nothing that is genuinely human that he doesn't bless. We know that because he had tear ducts. All praise and honor and glory to him. So, one, Jesus wept means he's not a ghost, not a machine. Two, Jesus wept means he embraces being understood. He's okay with that. Look at verse 37. But some of them said, could he not who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus was aware that his detractors thought he was powerless. And, you know, he could have said, oh, yeah, watch this. But he didn't. He wept. He broke down and cried. Even at the risk of confirming people's doubt about him. He wept means he embraces being misunderstood. And we see that when Martha comes to him and says in verse 31, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then again in verse 32, when Mary comes and says the same thing, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus is aware that his friends think his timing is is. Is, is off, that he's maybe been not so caring about the friend that he loves. He could have said, stop it. This if only talk is unspiritual. Don't you know that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Grief is uncalled for because there's gonna be a happy ending. But he doesn't correct their lack of insight into the mystery of his timing. He weeps with them in their grief. Think of elsewhere where he's betrayed by a friend whose feet he washes anyway, where he's called crazy by his family. It's important for you and me to know that he knows that he is misunderstood misappropriated, misapplied. And I submit to you that means that even today, Jesus is not surprised at the evil coalescence of spiritual power and state power. He weeps at the blessing of bombs raining down on Ukraine. He's ashamed of the misuse of his name, but he's not ashamed of his tears for the ruination of the souls of the perpetrators and for the destruction of the lives of the victims. 
It's not the first misuse of his name, nor will it be the last. He weeps now as he wept then. But as the psalmist says, his mourning will turn to dancing. He's not surprised when his name gets invoked to pit one race against another or one family member against another. He weeps now as he wept then. But as the psalmist says, his mourning will turn to dancing. He's not ashamed to weep when it's safer in a public setting to invoke his name as a curse than as a blessing or as a rationale. He weeps now as he wept then, but as the psalmist says, his mourning will turn to dancing. So, he wept means he's not a ghost. He wept means he understands, he embraces what it is to be misunderstood. And number three, Jesus wept means that fixing lies on the far side of caring. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw their weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Three things here. First, notice it's their weeping that causes him to weep. As Paul will later say, weep with those who weep. We have to see other people's tears. We're not just in the fixing job any more than he was just in the fixing job. We have to see the tears. We have to be touched by the tears. We have to understand why people weep, why exiles crowd our borders, why people from some neighborhoods are afraid of the police, why our friends are intimidated by our fancy schmancy worship, why living in a virtually all English speaking world can be so hard. It means coming alongside people. It means I am called to see you. I'm called to hear you because that's what my Jesus does. And it's what my Jesus, it's what my Jesus did. And it's what my Jesus does. Second thing it means is it says he was greatly disturbed in spirit. This is a great, rich Greek word. And brimastai. You can you hear, you hear the word brim in the middle of it. He was brimming over with, with, with. Oh, oh. It's, it's a term of deep emotional connection. It's a word that's used in classical Greek to refer to a war horse that's been worked up for battle. It's a kind of emotional energy that coaches look to build up in locker room speeches. I remember a halftime talk that my junior varsity basketball coach gave, and he said, all right, guys, I wish the good players in here could play with as much passion as kid plays. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a moment. <laughs> well, he tried, and I got the message. It was my last year playing basketball. <laughs> the third thing here is deeply moved. The, the last term in here. The, the term that's translated deeply moved is better translated, he troubled or stirred himself. The phrase in the Greek is, is active, not passive. It's not just that he was moved, 
but it's like he moved himself. He troubled himself. He stirred himself. The phrase is active rather than passive. He flips the switch. The phrase recalls how Jesus got up out of his heavenly recliner, or more appropriately, perhaps, his heavenly throne, and said, Father, their plight troubles me so much. I have to go be with them and to fix what's killing them. Jesus came to where we are because he cares. And that's part of what weeping means. Yeah, he was four days late as the song by Karen Peck in the New River uh, so elegantly puts it, he was four days late, but he was right on time because he came and he came with the fix. And he calls us to go in his name to share our tears with others and to offer his fix and in the process to be fixed ourselves. At the end of his uh, series on Jesus Wept, James Montgomery Boyce tells the story of a woman who ministered as a missionary with her tears. She was a missionary in a Muslim-majority country for years. And during one of those years, she taught English to a young man who was preparing to go off to school. She tried time and again to share Jesus with the young man, but he was not interested, just want to learn English so I can go, go get an education. They took tea together at her home one last time before he left for school. She shared the love of Jesus one last time. And one last time he said, no thanks. As the student left the missionary's home, walking through her garden, he turned around to wave goodbye one last time. And he saw tears streaming down her cheeks. He turned around and came back. He could resist no longer. He trusted Christ then and there. Her tears ended the rebellion in his heart. Winning a victory her words never could. So true is the old adage that every teacher has to learn. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Jesus wept so you'd know he cares. May he dwell in you and me in such a way that others may know that same care. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, now and forever. Amen.